Hey, faith family. Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast at Calvary Bible, where we go beyond the Sunday sermon to explore some rabbit holes and to bring some biblical truths to the surface. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Calvary Bible Church, welcome back. We've got another episode of the Beyond Sunday podcast. Welcome, Pastor Randall. We're late. We are late this week. Yep, if you're listening, which probably isn't an earliest Friday morning, we're recording this on Thursday, which is mm-hmm. two days later. Randy, you were down in mm-hmm. Greenbelt, Maryland, mm-hmm. teaching again. What was the course? Was it a different course this time? Mm-hmm. What was the course? Old Testament hermeneutics and theology. Okay. Not a homiletics preaching mm-hmm. class. Nope. Okay. Did you enjoy it? It was fun. Good. Yeah. Good. Um. If you're listening or watching and picking up on my voice, it's recovering from. Did you know I was at Game Seven of the Phillies Diamondbacks? No, I don't way. think I told you. You got tickets to get there. I got <gasps> tickets, and I, I didn't saw some of the game. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't think there was going to be a Game Seven. Yeah, there should not have been a Game Seven. Mm. This is not a sports radio podcast but talk, be. but it could, <laughs> it be, could be. And <laughs> man. So anyway, I didn't tell many people because I didn't think in a thousand years, a million years, mm. there would be a game seven, and then there was, and they lost. I was screaming my head off for a couple hours. Another 20 feet or so. Doing some good booing. Harper's, like a, Harper's left field. Yeah. Another 20 like, feet or so, that would have changed that game. Yeah. I, was, I mean, honestly. That I looked over at Chase, and Rebecca were with me. I looked over at Chase <sighs> right before that, and I said, Bedlam at the bank. He's so due. Yeah, just it was over four. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Sorry, we could we could talk for twenty five minutes about that game you easily. Could. I could. I was there. It was great. Fun what an atmosphere. Great. Oh, it was word. So I can't much imagine fun. that game seven in the National League was not a National League championship. Yeah, National Man. League. It was the first game seven in Phillies history. I saw that on the screen. So that was fun. I got to be there for history. Just mm. wish history was no. a little different. But anyway, good for you. I'm glad. So my voice is recovering. Yeah, I'm not yelled. sick. Yeah, yeah. I tried. I, I was, the, no, the noise just, must have been. It was so loud. I could have had my work. And just constantly. What's his name? Hit that home run early. Yeah, what, that was fun. How do you pronounce his? Boom. Yeah, man. When he hit that shot, I can't imagine what that stadium did. It was like. Yeah, I can't. Like, yeah, it was one of those. You're just high fiving everyone around <laughs> you, and you know you're except best friends other, with people who you've never met. Um, so it was a lot, it was a lot of fun, uh, despite the loss, we had a great great memory. Yeah. Great time. So we're fortunate to be able to do something like that. You are. It's cool. Um, it's good. Okay. But we're here. So really quick preview of what we're getting into today. Um, I always say to you guys, if you have any questions about this podcast, feel free to email in, Mm -hmm. uh, not just the sermon, but we don't often, I don't even know if we've ever really gotten questions about the podcast, maybe Mm -hmm. once or twice. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have two this week. So we're going to jump back into Matthew 9, where Jesus calls Matthew uh, from two sermons ago and uh-huh. just one podcast ago. And then we've got a couple of questions that came in from uh, this past Sunday's uh, sermon. The um, disciples of John uh, asking Jesus about this fasting and why his disciples aren't fasting and, and all that went down there. So let's start. Let me just remind us kind of where we were two Sundays ago. Um, this was the again the calling of Matthew. Um, mm-hmm. We showed that quick chosen clip, and oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so Jesus is making disciples, calling people who we would not expect. And uh, we talked about evangelism. We talked about friendship evangelism and door-to-door evangelism in the episode uh, last week. Mm -hmm. And then the question here is, where does discipleship come into that? Mm -hmm. So where does discipleship come into the picture, even though we were doing a lot of talking about um, evangelism, as the New Testament talks about making disciples, more than it does converts, the question says. So, so the uh, the question concerning Jesus calling Matthew, that section? Yep, that section, and this question specifically is, where does discipleship come into the picture? So um, one of the things we talked about on Sunday was act, the, the meaning of follow me mm-hmm. was the start of any kind of disciple making is where Jesus said, you have to actually get in behind me and go in the same direction I'm going. And what I was trying to, what I, what I did say was that for all of us, the start of our journey is when we place our faith in Christ, we get behind Jesus. He leads us in a particular direction that's unique for us. So mm-hmm. I've tried to differentiate, uh, you know, your path from my path, but we're both following Jesus. And so that's really the start of it. But according to that question, um, evangelism by its nature is disciple making. Mm-hmm. So at least, you know, at least we could, if we could start there and say, don't think that they're separated, they're not, because the whole Great Commission, we would call it from Matt, like Matthew 28, mm-hmm. or that is, um, you know, we're going and we're going with this message. We're doing exactly what Jesus did and what he said to do. So there is a sense in which we could start there. Yeah. The way I think about it is just stage one of discipleship. Yeah. You have to get in first. Yeah. And the the question made me think, though, Mm -hmm. um, is this Jesus, or I'm sorry, is this Matthew's conversion when he starts to follow Jesus? Yeah. I mean, from all indications, yes. Mm -hmm. He encounters Jesus for the first time and he has a miraculous conversion. He becomes a follower of Christ at that moment. There's no indication, I don't think, in the scriptures. Uh, maybe you can think of some, but I can't think of any place where we have an indication of Matthew receiving Christ uh, before this. So if that's the case, then actually Matthew, of course, has got a front row seat to this first century mm-hmm. band. Yeah. Uh, you know, so Jesus says to Matthew, leave your work, come follow me. Now I'm going to train you to be fishers of men. Mm-hmm. We use some other analogies from the scriptures. So Matthew enters a life of following Christ and being trained for his mission. Mm-hmm. That's all disciple making. Yeah. Not just evangelism. Right. Uh, but I would, I when the question came mm-hmm. in, I started thinking about it. I yeah. would agree that I do think this is probably Matthew's conversion point here. Yeah. Obviously, I think the Lord... Lord through the Spirit was working in him to get him to the point where the only thing Jesus has to do is say, follow me. And he does. His trajectory changes, and he's just on a different path than he was prior to that. So, um, But the question was, again, Mm where does discipleship come in? And I I think what I heard you say was evangelism is the beginning of discipleship, and then yeah. it continues on. Yeah, and, and the question, you know, I don't know who raises these questions, but but one of the reasons why a question like that even gets raised is because of the method of evangelism that we're most we're most familiar with. Mm-hmm. So you have, um, you know, like door-to-door. So the, the average door-to-door disciple-maker goes to, you know, I go to your door, mm-hmm. and if I have the privilege to lead you to Christ, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. 
you hope that then follow-up occurs, right? In other words, if you say yes to the gospel, I'm hoping that I'm not going to say, okay, hey, Jonathan's great. Thanks a lot. You're, you know, you're a Christian now. We'll see you. Right. And I never see you again. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, evangelists try so hard um, much of the time to link that person up with some church or someone that can help them grow from that point on. But Mm -hmm. that question actually betrays sort of a typical mindset of evangelism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's only telling the gospel, announcing the good news without a follow up. Yeah. And I think, of course, whoever asked that is, wants there to be an element of follow up for sure. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. yeah. And Sam Fry is a great example of that up in yeah. New York City. Yeah. So he's he's rarely has the opportunity or the capacity to disciple yeah. right. hundreds of people who have accepted yeah. the gospel based on him telling it, but he's connected to local churches. Exactly. We can point them to, give exactly. those pastors his the contact information exactly. for the discipleship yeah. piece of things. But yeah. uh, towards the end of the podcast then, it was like within the last minute or two, mm-hmm. um, I opened my mouth and started talking about Good. people who are <laughs> people who are moving from one state to another state because what's happening in their state is not, uh, they don't agree with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so we talked about the danger sometimes to, uh, for a Christian to just want to kind of like find people who are like-minded mm-hmm. and kind of turn inward as opposed to yeah. rubbing shoulders with the people who God has them around. And that's yeah. kind of where the conversation was wrapping up. Yeah. Uh, so thoughts about this. Um, the, the question that I have is based on the talk at the end of the podcast about moving out of states. Uh, I think you have to factor in that if you're raising a family in that environment, you might think another environment would be safer or more beneficial for them. Not sure I would extend mercy in that case at the risk of the environment Mm -hmm. harming my children. Mm -hmm. Thoughts? Uh, The quick thought is a family family should make that decision and say, God, what do you have for us? And I could see that family praying, fasting. If we talk about last time, Mm -hmm. praying and fasting, Lord, we're really feeling like we need to move. Is this what you want for us? Can we be about your work with this move? I can also see another Christian family doing the, the same, uh, go through the same process, mm-hmm. and they say, we're going to go to a dangerous place in the world that still allows missionaries to enter, and we know mm-hmm. this is we know there's a risk, mm-hmm. but we're going to do this because we feel like this is God's mission for our family. Mm-hmm. So I can see both of those, but again, the common denominator should be for a Christian family, God, what do you want for us? It never should be we're moving out of fear alone, we're moving out of comfort alone. Mm-hmm. It should factor in, that move should factor in the wisdom of God for their part in disciple making. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I would agree Uh the way it's worded here, you might think another environment would be safer uh, or more beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so I think I would then ask, why is, why is safety driving it? Uh, the benefit of whom? Right. Um, and, and I think the way we closed that podcast was there's always extenuating factors and circumstances, even your own kids. Exactly. And not even moving in and out of states. Yeah. But do I keep my kids yeah. in a public school? Yeah. Or not, um, yeah. that's a personal sure, statement sure. there. Yeah, yeah. But do I send my kids, yeah. you know, when they're of age to a public school, yeah. private school, homeschool? Yeah, we did all three. 
Did you? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And sometimes it just depends on the environment, depends on the fact, it depends on some kids. Yeah. Um, but I do think if the only reason I'm sending my kids to, let's say, a private school mm-hmm. is because I think it's safer for them, mm-hmm. um, or, or they need a better, or they need a better education. Yeah. Here's another one. Okay. It's an American mindset that's very prevalent. Uh, my work in the inner city uh, often took me to the public school system uh, during these these mid '80s in Dallas, Texas, in the inner city school. And uh, in that high school, and I could easily see someone saying, I, I just don't think it's good for my family to be in this school because they're not going to get a good education. It's sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. when people in the United States have talked about this problem forever, but that could be one of those th- things where if it was only I just need my children to be well-educated because I want them to be affluent, because I want them to have the American dream, because if none of that factors in the will of God and the mission of God, mm-hmm. that's, that's, a, that's, that's a family that is not following God's plan for them, or at least not seeking it. Yeah. So I'd want to be careful about all of those motives. Yeah. And I think starting off the way you did saying a family could fast and pray about this mm-hmm. and go one direction, yeah. and their neighbors could fast and pray and go a different direction, yeah. and both of them have... You know, be in the will of God, not yeah. you know acting out of um, you know selfishness yeah. or concern or worry. That's hard for some Christians though, because so many of us want it to be one or the other. There has to be one right. They both can't be right yeah. in the wisdom of God, and that's why wisdom is so critical for life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the uh, sometimes the formulas just don't work the way we think they do in all cases. And wisdom is when you know the rules don't work, mm-hmm. and so what do you do? I don't have the answers. What do I do? That's where wisdom comes into play. Yeah. And I think it's a great question. Um, it because is. We've got a lot of young families. It is a great question. You know, with kids yeah. thinking about where are we yeah. living, yeah. what environment, community, yeah. Yeah. school, and yeah. I mean, even shoot for the school system. Yeah. Rebecca and I talk about that for and, our kids. And just, just to, and you know this, I, I know you know this, um, you know, we've, we've had a parishioner just recently tell both of us that they are on mission with where in which they want to worship and work. Mm-hmm. I mean, just recently. So I, I applaud that. I think, wow, that's someone who is being clear about, I think God wants me in this environment for this mission. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Yeah, that's a great thing to be motivated by. I think so. That should probably be the, yeah, one of, if the, if not the, one, I'm sorry. Yeah. One of the, if not the motivating factor. Yeah. You know. Because that decision may not have been the easiest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, I, I that, that's to me. That's so tangible to what we're talking about. Yeah. So the good questions. Thank you for sending those in yes. about last week's podcast. Even though they're a week late, you're okay with they're that? They're not a week late. Oh, okay. No, they were. Right. They were just okay. not normal for us. Right. So yeah, okay. send them right. in again. Okay. If the rest of this podcast prods any questions, send them in. I'll tell Randy that's going to be okay. <laughs> All right. So we were in a Matthew. section of Matthew that you said you wanted to skip. I did. I really did. <laughs> Why did you want to skip this? It's just... What, what was it? Because um, texts that are texts that are aimed mostly at the contrast between Judaism and Christianity are very difficult to relate to us. Okay. Who... How many of our parishioners know about Jewish religious life? I mean, really know about it. Yeah, 
nobody or very the, few. Only the ones that watch The Chosen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I love that show too, but. So that that's really my my quick answer to uh, I was kind of hoping it would go away. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Well, it's there. It's yeah. still still there. Um, so fasting was the question that the disciples of John the Baptist yes uh, asked. Yeah. Why why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Yeah, exactly. And this is John, the disciples of John. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. so um, we did talk about fasting, though, mm -hmm. just for a segment yeah, of it. First, yeah, first. First several minutes, I thought, you know, we probably need a review of that. Yeah, right. We and hardly it, talk about it. Right. It did come up in Matthew 6. Mm -hmm. um, and so the question came in, when I fast, I've always used Isaiah 58 for reasons, and then Matthew 6 to model that. Mm -hmm. um, typically, I do it because of broken people I know who need Jesus to set them free. When I feel hunger, or I'm sorry, when I feel those hunger pains, it causes me to think of the chains that bind them. And I'm wondering if I've been thinking correctly about fasting and if you can tie these thoughts together with the message on Sunday, which put a whole new light for me on the reasons we should practice it. Yeah, I, th I think that that instinct and that practice is, is what this is all about. Mm -hmm. Even though you'll notice the way the brokenness is, is worded, there's still a realization that something's wrong mm -hmm. and God, I really need you to come through. And, I, and if I was listening correctly for someone else. Mm -hmm. So I think that that really captures the spirit of fasting, whoever that one was. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I think that's really what, what we're talking about is, and by the way, it's not until verse 15 that Jesus uses the word uh, mourn. So his answer tells us that in this particular situation, fasting is equated with mourning. And mm -hmm. so I think this person is feeling that when it mentioned, I think the word was chains. Yeah. There's, a, there's something hurting. Uh, people are hurting. And so um, the, whatever chains are holding them, this, this is kind of uh, a person mourning and uh, going into uh, like what we would say intercessory prayer for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So I like what you said that made a lot of sense that when there's fasting, there's a recognition of something that's broken, mm -hmm. not right. Mm -hmm. And the fast is because we're, we're mourning over that. It's mm -hmm. not celebratory. Mm -hmm. um, and so we tangibly mm -hmm. hold back from food or something else mm -hmm. to say, God, fix this. Mm -hmm. um, I need righteousness here yeah. more than I need yeah. whatever we're fasting from. Yeah. Um, you kind of set us up for that on Sunday really well, that, that whole aspect of, you know, this is broken and Lord, we, mm -hmm. you know, we got to have some, some healing. Yeah. Um, and so maybe one way I'm thinking about Isaiah 58, mm -hmm. which I, I did was not familiar with that chapter, so mm -hmm. I did go back and read it, mm -hmm. um, which just talks about essentially similar to Hosea, uh, mm -hmm. which we covered the week before, God yeah. desires mercy, mercy not, not sacrifice. sacrifice. Um, Isaiah 58 is essentially saying, I, I want you to do righteousness and justice and not fast so that you so that I hear you because your fasting isn't heard mm. if you're fasting for your own mm. gain. Mm. Um, so rather than fast, you know, go help the hungry, feed the sick or yeah. feed the hungry, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so in Isaiah 58, mm -hmm. there's a recognition of, again, what you said is 
broken and not right in the world and hurting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you turn to the New Testament here and you see Jesus saying right now in the passage that we covered, there's this is something to be celebrating. I'm here and my disciples are Mm -hmm. in my presence. So there's Mm -hmm. everything is right in this little kingdom group. Yeah. Um, So that's why they're not fasting. But when you do fast, Matthew 6, Mm -hmm. do so because of the things that are not right Mm -hmm. and do it with the right intentions, which the right motivations, not a you An know. appearance of righteousness. Yeah, that's really said. selfishly yeah, right. driven. That's right, because mm-hmm. he said clearly back then in Matthew six, mm-hmm. like this, that great line: "Wash your face." Yeah, you know, right? Don't look like you're. you're no a one needs because, to know, right? Yeah, yeah. So, is that a safe way to kind of tie this week's, this past Sunday's passage into this idea of fasting? This um, last Sun, this past Sunday, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. that a, is that a good way to think about Isaiah 58, Matthew 6, Matthew 9? Yes, uh, because the indictment is, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not in this text, but it was in the other text. Um, Israel, Israel's righteousness was a show. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees and the scribes, by the time Jesus arrives... It appears that the leadership is suffering from the same problem as ancient Israel, if I'm reading those correctly. Mm -hmm. So now Jesus once again says, you don't want to fast like them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're doing it Uh, there. And in this case, in verse 14, why do we and the Pharisees fast? We're not talking about the, as I said, it's not the day of atonement fast that was required by the law. This was two extra fasts Mm -hmm. that were added each week. Well, what were they added for? They added, they added those because they thought the more fasting, the more righteous. The problem is they had the wrong motives. They yeah. did not do it out of a love for God and his kingdom because they were rejecting the king. Mm-hmm. So let me ask the question here at the end one mm-hmm. more time just to make sure we're covering it. I'm wondering if I've been thinking correctly about fasting and if you can tie these thoughts together with the message on Sunday. So... Is the questioner thinking correctly about fasting? Yeah. If you could just go back to Isaiah real quick, though, and just yeah. just find that that particular text that's being referenced to make sure I'm on the same page. All right. So it's really a fair amount of the whole chapter is talking mm-hmm. about this, this problem. Um, let me see if there's a good verse to mm-hmm. pull out here. Um, I'll start in verse 3. Why have we fasted and you not see it? So this is Israel speaking. Mm-hmm. Why have we fasted and you see it not? So so far, what remember, Israel's doing the right things, evidently according to the law, but mm-hmm. they're not experiencing the blessing that should attend, that right. should accompany such obedience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they're saying, why have we humbled ourselves and yeah. you, yeah. God, yeah. taken no knowledge of it? Yeah. Behold, in the day of your fast, this is God now speaking. Yeah. yeah. In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Yeah, and I was saying to students earlier this week, I said, you know, whenever you see God, whenever you read God speaking directly, theology is contained in the Old Testament in inherent in his speech. That shouldn't be rocket science. That just should be normal. The study of God comes directly in the Old Testament, often from his own direct speech. And in this case, he's in, uh, he's judging, of course, their practices as 
Mm-hmm. They're not right. Right. It's, it looks right, but it's not right. Yeah. So I, I based on our conversation, mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah. think the questioner is thinking about fasting in an appropriate way. Um, and then can we tie these thoughts together? And I think that's what I was trying to do there. Isaiah 58, you. Matthew that 6, helps. Matthew 9. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and to this to this question, I would just say, just just remember that 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 same morning that you feel towards someone else or for someone else, and so you go ahead and fast for them. That's the same thing that we've been talking about when you say yourself, or I say, or we say, "Look, God, I need you more than I need this food right now. Please come to my aid." Mm-hmm. And I so I would say again, yeah, I think the spirit of this is correct. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Thanks for helping me with Isaiah a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, last one. You ready? I am. Yeah. Of course you are. (laughs) I don't know what you or the church believes about dispensationalism, okay? Uh But during Sunday's sermon, I just kept thinking about something that I thought I remember, or something I thought I remember from learning in class, uh, Bible class. The following is a direct copy and paste from something I wrote in my notes. Verses 14 and 17, Mm -hmm. they wrote, to try to fit the new dispensation into the old was Mm -hmm. not going to work. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Jesus' disciples that needed to change and go backward. It was John's disciples and the Pharisees that needed to change and move forward. So it's almost like the focus of the passage in the class was related to the new covenant versus the Mosaic law Mm -hmm. and how Jesus was bringing a change. But Randy, you took a very practical mm-hmm. direction with these pa- with these verses, which was helpful for my daily walk. I'm assuming neither are necessarily wrong, just a different emphasis on the same passage. So yeah. there's a lot there. It's okay. The first thing is I'm amazed that a student remembered anything from a class. That's yeah. the first thing. Well, there so you go. Congratulations. They're second above thing, average. Second thing, I did say on Sunday, as I said earlier, the reason why I struggled with this text is because the emphasis is on the shift from Judaism to Jesus. So the language that uh, this person had, <coughs> excuse me, the language that they used from the course was the old the um, the old dispensation. Do you need I'm, a minute? I'm choking up anytime I think of this. Dispensationalism choked it me chokes up too. It chokes me up. So when the the language uh, is used of the the old dispensation, we would want to understand that as God gave Israel his laws and said, this is the way in which you're supposed to live as redeemed people, including the sacrificial system and so forth, which also includes fast on the required fast in the Day of Atonement. Then Jesus comes along, and so to use that language, now the new covenant comes into the world and uh, the professor was actually it was obviously was correct with this text when i look at this text and the disciples of john still trying to live according to the old ways religiously and mm-hmm. to use different language the disciples of john trying to live the same way in which they always have thought about knowing God, walking with God, and so forth. Now Jesus comes along and changes everything. So it is a new, to use the word dispensation, Jesus comes along and institutes a new way to relate to God. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's simplistic, but that's enough for, you know, for this. 
So on Sunday, when I mentioned uh, the word Judaism, that's what I was referring to. And then you might recall that I also referred to the Sermon on the Mount in all the contrasts. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. So there was my sort of uh, doing diligence to um, the old system versus the new. Mm -hmm. So, But here's, here's kind of what's tricky with John. John's disciples... They've already, they already know that John is leading the way to, for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And remember, he used, John was the one that used bridegroom and best man kind of language, which mm -hmm. I talked about Sunday. So these disciples of John are getting caught up in, we're, we're preparing the way for Jesus, but they're still caught up in uh, the old ways because that's all they know. And by the way, that's all they see from the other religious leaders around them. So they haven't separated themselves enough from the Pharisees. Yeah. A lot of the commentators mention this. You'll notice that the disciples of John are, are siding with uh, the Pharisees in this and mm -hmm. the scribes. So, and, and we've seen the scribes have an issue with Jesus early on in the chapter. Then the Pharisees have an issue. And now John's disciples have an issue so from this, from the clash of the two systems comes this very practical thought of, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I oftentimes expect that I can continue to walk according to my old ways, which are, by the way, I, I mean, I, I want to say, I've never in my heart felt like I was against God. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees weren't, they didn't think they were against God. They were defending God. The scribes, they're the experts in the law. And so, but I think for us as, as a church, I wanted to make sure we got, we got beyond the two system clashes too. You still kind of have a clash. I still kind of have a clash. Jesus comes into my life and he needs, this is all new. And so he needs to transform me new. I can't try to uh, walk my old ways and fit him in. And expect that to succeed. The two uh, examples at the end of the un unshrunk cloth on an old garment and the, the new wine in the old wineskins, as I referenced on Sunday, you know, in those last two images, destruction is of both. Mm -hmm. you know, it's just there's no deliverance there. It's only harm. So, so <clears throat> I would say, yes, uh, the two uh, ideas are on the same path, the one referenced in the question would be primary to the uh, first readers, uh, especially the first readers who are Jews, if that's the case with Matthew's gospel. Mm -hmm. And then from there, though, you're, you're, we were sort of exploring disciple-making ramifications. Yeah. And so if you're not familiar with that term dispensation, mm -hmm. we've talked about this in the last six months. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, let me try and put a definition on it. You can tell me if it's, mm -hmm. you know, A sure. or B quality work. Um, a dispensation would be a period of time. And when we're talking about biblical dispensations, God works in different ways um, at different time periods throughout biblical, mm -hmm. throughout the Bible or yeah. human history. Um, and so if you're not familiar with that, you can do mm -hmm. some research on it yourself. Mm -hmm. But um, there's an understanding in camps like ours mm -hmm. where, um, yeah, there's different dispensations mm -hmm. throughout the, the Bible. That's right. 
And my question is, though, just to follow up to mm-hmm. that, um, do you think that's reading into the text a little bit or like fitting a theological system into the text? Or is that, well, yeah, let me just stop there. Yeah, I think it can be. Um, you know, uh, some of our folks have read, you know, like um, the the early the earliest dispensation among the systems, among the systems, the earliest one comes early in the book of Genesis. There's no language for it. Like you don't read that. So in the best worlds, theologically, they're describing what's happening in the Bible. You know, if, if I said, you know, the dispensation of law and the dispensation of grace, just take two of those, look at those two. And that's super overly simplistic, but just for our sakes today, mm-hmm. just law and grace, they're different. So, I, I think what you said was was certainly accurate. People differ on how many. Mm-hmm. They differ on the continuity among them mm-hmm. and so forth. And ultimately, uh, depending on how you feel about the dispensations, often it has a particular way of reading the Bible attached to it. Yeah. And so that's why different uh, you know denominations and different theological systems read key texts differently like the book of the revelation for instance and also Mm -hmm. often revolves around the differences between the church and israel between israel and the church how distinct are they do they ever overlap does one get subsumed by the other these are all kind of spin-off questions that are a part of this discussion so i want to make this practical Mm -hmm. um, because it's getting too heady for me and 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 i think the podcast okay good um where I think it's practical then is when we're reading our Bible, mm-hmm. you know, in our homes or wherever, you know, we're not under the teaching of yeah. Pastor Randy. How much should we let our theological systems influence the reading? So just, you know, again, coming off the week I just had, I was uh, three days with PhD students. So here's what we often talk about at that level. So, no one can say, I only do pure reading of the Bible, and I never allow my theology to impose on my reading. No one can say that. There's just not a human being that can say that, because every human being that reads the Bible, that's a church person, reads the Bible with a history of some knowledge of theology that they've been taught, either mm-hmm. there's either self-taught or someone else. Mm-hmm. So what we talk about in our circles is we talk about our Bible reading skills should influence our theology. But any good student knows that our theology influences our readings mm-hmm. and it's never one it's it's never one direction. Right. Now I've said this to our leadership here for years so I am all I always am a lo, uh, more than a little bit antsy when our system of theology is clearer than the Bible. Mm-hmm. So remember when someone says to me here's my system and that system is clearer than the biblical text I've got issues with that. That just that just doesn't set well with me. Mm-hmm. What I want is I want us to pay close attention to how we read the Bible. And if you need to develop a system, develop it, but see if you can stick close to the text. Yeah. You know? Good. Yeah. I think that's helpful. Good. Um, just looking back at the question to make sure I think we've yeah. got that answered. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think you said it. The... The notes that were taken in this Bible class um, seem to jive with mm-hmm. kind of the application there for 
John's disciples. Yeah, you've got two systems, two radically different systems. <clears throat> they can't they can't live together. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for me to try to patch Jesus into my world, that's not going to work. Right. He's not a patch. And so for us, right, in our context, our day, it's, that's this is a tricky passage, like you pointed out from the very beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because of its... Yeah, for, just his nature. Yeah. For me, it was. For other people, it's probably like, that's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I hear you. Um, but there seems to be some continuity there between this section and the sections that were before it. Again, these three different people questioning yeah. Jesus, his disciples, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the scribes and Pharisees, yeah. and now John's disciples. Yeah. Um, and Jesus is each time saying, you need to follow me. I'm, things are going to be different. Radically different. Yeah. With the cloth imagery, what I what I I don't know if I actually said it, but I certainly was thinking about it on Sunday was, you know, Jesus, don't think of Jesus as a patch. Think of Jesus as a whole new outfit, mm-hmm. which means you're going to you either going to cover the old or preferably to use other language in the New Testament epistles. Take off the old clothes, put on new clothes. He, he doesn't patch up your old clothes type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that really is the Christian life. I mean, more and more seeing the righteousness of Christ build in us new righteousness. Okay, so yeah. I've got one more question, uh-huh. and it's going to make this the longest episode ever. Wow. Maybe. We're probably at like 25 minutes now. Thanks to the people that were like a week or so late. <laughs> That's Randy, not me. <laughs> All right. So if if that is, if Jesus is saying, listen, I'm things are going to change. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do things different. Where do we draw the line with change? Because you come yeah. across biblical interpretation today yeah. that... In our camp, again, I would say it's a conservative Bible yeah. church. We would say, no, we want to conserve yeah. the way, the old way of reading the Bible, yeah. traditional way, yeah. uh, the orthodox way that they've been tran- you know, yeah. interpreting for years. So one quick example would be the, the debate about homosexuality. Yeah. Does God frown upon that right. or is he changed and now that's okay? Right. So I think... I, I hear what you're saying, but yeah. I, I could, I feel like, take those words and say, hey, things are different now. That's yeah. an old wineskin. Yeah. Don't try and, yeah. or it's a new wineskin. Yeah. Don't try and put an old patch on it. Yeah. And so, like I said on Sunday, what we have to guard is we have to guard orthodoxy. We guard the integrity of the gospel. But then when we talk about methodology and how to make disciples and all that, you know, the sky's pretty much the limit. Stay within orthodoxy doctrinally, but as far as the method of disciple making, and that's where I referenced that book from Aubrey Malfers. Uh, you know, you're the, a church trying to move away from tradition in order to move into the future and to do ministry well. You have to be careful that you're not thinking of the traditions as gospel. Mm-hmm. They may not be. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you want to guard is. And by the way, what you brought up, we talk about this a lot in the Welcome to the Faith family class. So if you're new to our church and you were in the class, you might remember me talking about for us as a Bible church, we've got sort of a boundary that we know we don't want to push beyond. That's orthodoxy. But according to our church covenant, we are always expanding our knowledge within this. So it's a, it's kind of a, there's a tension there. We do have limits biblically. Like, for instance, the deity of Christ. That, mm-hmm. according to scriptures, is, is a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe in that one, you can't be in. Yeah. So we have, we have orthodoxy. But we're always trying to expand our knowledge according to the scriptures because that's a scriptural instruction to us. Mm-hmm. Keep growing in your knowledge. 
And so we're trying to grow in our knowledge, grow in our ability to read the Bible, but still stay within orthodoxy. And the unchangeableness of truth, though, meets with uh, this ongoing change in the way church and disciple-making and ministries are done. And all you'd have to do is just read church history and see how much it's changed. But you have to guard against what's happening in our day always, and it's always been happening. Mm -hmm. You have a reading of the Bible that says, since society has changed its views on this since the 60s, then therefore Paul no longer speaks authoritative on the issue. Mm -hmm. So we guard against that kind of reading. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Um, and another tension I, I feel and think about is Jesus in, in these passages that we've been reading for a couple weeks now is, you know, he's getting after issues of the heart, but mm. then our heart is deceitfully wicked. Mm. So... Uh, we want to make sure our heart's in the right place and our intentions and motives are pure. Yeah. We're desiring mercy, not just religious acts like sacrifice. Mm -hmm. um, and our hearts are fickle sometimes. They can get, get off track pretty quickly. That's why being in church every week is so important. There we go. Just a re, um, like a covenant renewal service. Yeah, it's good. Okay. We look forward to seeing you at the next Covenant Renewal Service there you go. on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Okay. If you listened all the way to the end, we applaud you. Congratulations. Yes. Yes. You made it. Um, it's warm in this room. I can take a nap up here. Now. All right. Good. Uh, the discussion's been hot and heated. You know, literally, but not yeah. metaphorically. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for listening. If you do have questions about the podcast, email them into podcast at cbcmj.com. We love you. See you on Sunday. Thanks again for joining us on today's episode. And remember, our Sunday sermons are meant to lead us to a life of worship beyond Sunday.